1: Elmsford man Steve Hughes has had to learn how to live his life without his vision. The 38-year-old, who works as a coroner's officer in Westminster, has Stargardt's disease. It's a genetic condition that means he only has his peripheral vision at best, but in the last two years his eyesight has rapidly deteriorated. Before he was able to go about relatively independently but that's not the case anymore. But through the pain of losing even more of his eyesight, Steve has found inspiration in running and he has also set himself the daunting challenge of taking part in 10 exhausting sporting events. He's doing so in order to raise money for a very worthy Chelmsford cause, the Sanctus Homeless Charity. Brought to you by Essex Live. This is Humans of Chelmsford and this is Steve Hughes' story. Steve, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and telling us about uh, the rather extraordinary challenge you've set set yourself. You're welcome. Um, and obviously there's a lot of messages I think we're going to talk about and delve into throughout the course of this discussion as well. Um, the first part of which I'll talk about because that's kind of uh, the reason you're doing this challenge in the first place and that's the condition that you have, yes. uh, Stargardt's disease. That's correct. Um, which yes. is uh, an eyesight condition. Um, do you mind starting off by telling us what what it is and how it sort of affects your life really yes certainly so yes
0: as you as you quietly said my condition is called stargardt's disease and my condition is is stage three so what this entails i have only my peripheral vision and no central vision at all um, i can develop the condition when, when i was eight Uh, It was something uh, that is a genetic condition, so I was born with it, but it said the condition didn't change until I was over eight years of age. Um, My sister also has the same condition, and she is three years older than myself. So um, it all started off really with my sister, um, with the condition and the um, symptoms that was occurring. Um, So they always closely monitored me from her, uh but they always thought there was a there was a high percent chance I wouldn't catch the uh, develop the condition itself um it's it happens in siblings but not as common um it's like a 1 in 4 chance uh of myself c- c- catching the con- or developing the condition and of course I did so um and it all say uh, basically uh, one day I was at school you know I was always used to be sitting at the back of the classroom you used not have no problems whatsoever and then all of a sudden one day I was like oh I can't see what's on the black ball back then or chalk ball should I say, I'll call it um, and that was when they first realized my condition was probably going to start to change in the same way as my sisters did so then uh, as a result of that I then um, was seen by the doctors where I used to uh, attend at North Middlesex Hospital uh, where we I went under a numerous amount of uh, testing diagnosis uh, testing where it was confirmed that I had developed the same condition as my sister Stargarts so like I said it's a genetic uh, condition Um, so it was um, never obviously uh, something that can be Passed on directly um, it only is, if you're carrying that particular gene or a, a gene that was like my mum and dad were uh, which clashed and it obviously was part of the site condition itself, uh, it could have been anything, it could have been hearing, it could have been physical but you know, within this type it was the site itself that was affected um, and from that it's uh, say it rapidly changed uh, quite quickly when I was eight uh, it's, that seems to be how the condition itself um, works, or develops, should I say, where it just detaches the, uh, the central vision quite quickly, and it just goes. Um, and there is no um, treatment at the moment. Uh, there was, um, you aren't, um, you are able to get certain kind of magnification equipment that you can use, but there are no glasses that can assist with correcting the vision because the vision is gone. So there's nothing there to assist you with Um, so the the way it would affect your day-to-day would be um, you certainly wouldn't be able to look at things from far away Um, you couldn't read bus numbers Uh, you know if you were walking along the road you certainly wouldn't be able to see uh, road signs that clearly until you were very close to them Um, but on a whole I tried to you know live our parents tried to ensure that we lived as a normal life as possible Um, doing the things that we wanted to do as best as we possibly can and not letting it stop us and it's kind of always been the stepping stone and this you know of how I've led my life I don't let anything stand in my way um, I will give it a go and if I can't do it I will let someone know but I certainly won't be told I can't do it unless I know myself that I can't um, and say and that's how you know you you kind of get used to the conditions so you find your way around the dealing with things in different ways um to be able to cope um saying you have certain different uh, equipment that you can assist you with like say magnification um, magnifiers we used to have these um really not very pleasant funky or well, unfunky glasses that were provided uh, like little <coughs> telescopes um on on frames that you could watch the tv with but we. Me and my sister tended not to use them, and would sit very more closer to the television, um, and and that was pretty much how we really cope. We used to have in large print documents, uh, large print books, uh, which allowed us to be able to continue, you know, in school, did at mainstream school, um, and just as I say, you know, carry on as anyone else, but with the those that extra support to be able to get you to to be able to see things in a much better way.
1: Having someone like your sister there Mm -hmm. as well with the same condition as you, does it help having someone so close to you going through the same things that you were going through?
0: Yes, it does. Uh, I was able to see how, uh, how she coped with things and kind of, replicated it in some way but also to my own way of dealing with it as well and we are very close um and we just supported each other through it um you know and and we just worked out what was best for us and suitable for us to be able to cope with the condition and to just lead as much as a best as much as a happy life or as as our lives as we possibly can without it really causing too much of an issue yes yes it did um to certain times where you just weren't able to see it but of course we say we worked around that to be able to deal with it when we were younger and we just not allowed it tried to not allow it to affect us and you know
1: and keep us as happy as we could Mm -hmm. I think maybe when people hear what the condition entails Mm -hmm. they probably automatically try and think about how that's actually affected your life and your family life up to this day but hearing you speak At the start, it sounds like it's almost been the making of you and who you are as a person, if that's fair to say. Oh,
0: definitely. Absolutely. Because because I had to uh, deal with these challenges at a young age uh, and, you know, and I've lived with the condition now for 30 years, uh, it certainly allowed you to think, well, this is the sort of person I want to be and I don't want it to stop me from being that person. Um, and and yeah, I will definitely say it has made me the person I am today determined, I won't back down from a challenge, if someone says to me do you fancy doing it, I'll go ahead and try and do it in, in all its glory as best I can unless like I said, it stops me, I can't physically do it you know, I've jumped out of a plane so you know, it's done a tandem parachute jump, so it won't stop me from doing if it's something I want
1: to do, I'll try and do it as best I can, or if I can do it I'll definitely try and do it in terms of the raising awareness side of things yeah. as well because that is obviously part of the reason uh, we're yes. talking in the first place, is there enough awareness out there about the condition for people or is there anything that needs to be done or enhanced to, to help people living with it
0: I, I don't think there is obviously if you look at the con- you can certainly look at the condition on the, on the internet and it brings it up and it tells you more about what the condition is uh, the different types of the condition itself and what possible uh, you know testing that they've done out there. There is a lot of research going on uh, regarding our conditions within the medical world, more so in America, uh, but there is see, a fair bit going on over here, uh, trying to see whether they can find um, some kind of treatment that could not necessarily correct the provision, but s- slow it down. Um, I know there is trials going on at the moment uh, where they have done it with adults, but they're now trying it with children, uh, with the macrodegenerative diseases that are out there to try and see if they can slow down the process uh, and prevent anything further ha- from happening which is great because that's such a huge step compared to what it was like when I was a child we were just told you know there's nothing there um, maybe in the future you know maybe in your lifetime we don't know uh, but certainly wasn't back in the days my doctor's lifetime for them um, but they certainly you know say you know medicine now has developed in such a way where they are able to look into things further because now they know exactly what gene it is uh, and they test more for the people you know to confirm that you are carrying that gene and they are then looking at further say trials and programs to see whether they can find something that can assist and say slow things down Um, but I don't think there is enough awareness out there Um, you you know when you're out and about um, okay You know, I now walk with an assistant with a white cane for many, I never needed that uh, until my condition itself in the last couple of years has obviously changed. Um, Where now things are very more, much more blurry. Uh, I always used to have issues with night um, where if you had poor lighting, um, it caused a big issue because you just really aren't able to see much at all Um, but I certainly was able to get around without having to have any aids at all Um, but now I certainly don't feel confident enough to be able to walk around these days without Having my cane, um, so say there's a lot more blur, blurness now with my vision. Um, I, there's a lot of times within the bright light, I can see uh, you know our outlines of, of people close up to me, or outlines of buildings or cars, but not necessarily can tell you exactly what model the car is, or whether the person that's near and walking by, whether they're uh, male or female, until they maybe I can hear their voices, um, and you know other obstacles that may cause a challenge such as bollards, posts, pillars. Um, if there's road work signs all of a sudden appeared from a normal route and it's quite poorly lit. And you know, unless my cane detects it, I might not necessarily know it's there until I'm upon it. Um, and and the, and the road conditions in the streets around here are, as I've, I've always known they're bad um, at times, but I have to say with work, walking now with a cane, you can really find the potholes, the cracks, the divots, um the port the the unevenness of the pavements uh you know the cracks in the roads it, it, it picks it all up so it makes it sometimes very hard uh when you're walking along with the cane for a nice rollable movement uh because of what it's picking up and yes there are people out there that you know are very kind that offer assistance but there is also there's a lot of people out there that still have that I wouldn't say naivety or uh, well maybe, maybe yes, maybe it is naivety or they, they just don't want to interfere or they don't know how to uh, or they think that they may be stepping on someone's toes by coming and approaching you. Um, it's nice when people do come up and ask you. You know, there are times when I will say to someone, uh, yes, it's great for your assistance, please. Or there are other times when I say, No, I'm okay, I'm fine, thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm I'm okay as I am, but you know, it's very kind for your offering. But say, But there are other people that are ignorant over it as well um, and will walk in front of you, cut you up. Um, you know, they, they turn around and glare at you and then realize something. Actually, no, I should, you know, I have a cane and that's the reason why I've, I've knocked them. Um, you know, but but I do think that the awareness out there is not as much as it should be.
1: Having that change as well in the last two years, I'm, I'm not sure how much that has actually affected you personally. If if it's something you've always carried, have you sort of lived your life with sort of an acceptance that things are going to get progressively worse or has that changed in the last two years um, been I've, difficult to adjust to? It's,
0: I've always um, lived a life to say, you know, there's always a possibility that there will be change, uh, but... We were always told when we were, obviously for you know, when we were younger, uh, that the condition itself would be pretty much as it is, uh, but there might be a slight variation. Um, and so, I never really thought uh, that my condition would be where it is now. I always thought, well, you know, as it, you know, we were always told that was it. Uh, you know, I won't have to wear glasses. It'll only be when I get older um more you know more towards my latter end of years that you just get um aging deterioration with your condition with your site but it wouldn't really affect you in any other way so i'd always thought well, okay fine you know i'm happy to you know i can do what i'm doing now and i can carry on like that and you know and and that's always how I've led my life, and you know, like I say, you know, there's always in the, back end, you know, in the back of your mind that the possibility that things may change, but, um, but I try to think, right, okay, you know, this is how it is, uh, and, and I'll carry on, and then once things started to slightly amend and change, then I realise I've got to do something about this, or it could be a situation where if my condition becomes too bad, and I don't have things in place Am I going to be able to go out? Am I going to be able to live that independent life without relying on people? And that's not how I've lived. Um, yes, my wife is very supportive, and yes, she's very helpful, and so are my children, you know, my eldest son. Um, you know, he's amazing when we're out, um, but I don't want to have to rely on that. Uh, and I shouldn't have to because, um, you know, you, you shouldn't be made to, be f- to feel... Um, that you need to rely on everyone all the time to be able to get out and about when if you've got the right things put in place it can assist you as best you can which is what I'm trying to do Um, and I didn't ever want it to stop me and you know there are people uh, with other eyesight conditions that um, maybe don't have the, the same luxury of having that motivation or the same support network to keep you going and to think right you know you've got nothing to fear you can go out and do this um you know you just need to be able to get the right things in place to be able to continue Um, you know you know i I can remember a few years ago when i was growing up uh, i was invited to a community center because we had done some fundraising and there were people there that you know of my age or slightly older um, you know that had that negative they had you know had a condition and they couldn't do things or they thought like they couldn't do things and me and my sister say, saying you know, should never say never you know don't let this condition or your condition stop you from doing something you want to go and do if you want to go and do it do it and if you find that something is prevent you from doing it for for a minor reason try and find a way around that and see if something can someone can help you for to help you do that and we got told you know it's a brilliant attitude to have you know, but you've got a better support network and us it's not you know it's not as easy as that for us, um but we understand where you're coming from and um, but i you know I th- think to myself, well, because maybe that's the way we were brought up, um it allowed us to have that attitude, like, well you know, I will go and try and do this, I will help someone if it needs helping um and you know and that's why even now i still have that attitude and you know even with the site changed the way it has i don't want it to stop me from doing what i want to go and do
1: and that determination brings me on perfectly really to the next question and that's the challenges you've yes. set yourself um, yes. and raising money for sanctus cafe 10 running events in total um, just give us a breakdown of, of what they involve because there's a bunch of different events there and they're all taking place on Various dates as well.
0: They are indeed. So um, it all first came about that once I got back into my running, I wanted to set myself a challenge. Not maybe as many challenges as I have set myself, but I wanted to set some challenges uh, personally, but also I also wanted to be able to raise money for the Saints Homeless Charity CAF. Um, for two reasons. A, because I think it's a great worthy and a great cause to raise money for. There's a lot of vulnerable people out there that need the help and support. And Sanctus uh, is such a fantastic um, charity that helps that day support for the people out there. But also uh, because my wife and secondly, because my wife also works for the charity. Um, but I wanted to say, um, set myself a challenge. And I, I thought the best way to be able to do this is to look upon uh with my running it's something that i've always loved and had a passion for um and uh, you know we'll we'll talk about my more running further later on but a year ago once i got back into my running um i wanted to say like i said some challenges to put past and so i first decided uh my biggest challenge would be would to take part in the salt marsh 75 which is an ultra challenge um, that uh, covers. It used to be a two-day event where you would run 75 miles over two days, uh, but this year they have changed the actual event itself. So you're running 50 miles in one day, um, where you have to be um, you have to finish the race uh, later by uh, midnight of of the day you the uh, evening of the day you start. Um, so that was my first goal that I wanted to set myself, and then from there i have decided that i would amalgamate some other challenges um, i always fancied doing a triathlon um, i you know i was able to swim I'm running but i always knew there was going to be a bit of a stepping stone with the cycling uh, and there's a gentleman that i uh, that i do run with uh, called carl who has done a triathlon before and said would you be interested in doing one and i said yes i would so we got ourselves together and we got ourselves a tandem and uh we decided that we will go ahead and, and take part in a triathlon so i thought right i think if i'm going to go and do this triathlon i'm going to add this to my challenge so that's was my second part of my challenge and then it's then i um, say multitude into uh, eight other challenges so the 10 I've now decided to take part in is firstly will be the triathlon and that is actually taking place this Saturday the, uh, the 17th of August and then I decided to then add a half marathon onto that and I identified a half marathon that was taking place in Clacton and that is also then happening on the 18th of August so I'm doing the triathlon on the Saturday and then I shall be then competing in a half marathon the following day on the Sunday in Clacton. I then uh, have added two further half marathons, which will take place in September. Um, This will be uh, one that first is in Chelmsford, which is the Pleshy Half Marathon. And then I shall be then competing uh, in the Great East Half Marathon, which is taking place in Ipswich um, also in September. Um, And then I have then uh, then, taken on the big challenge of the Saltmarsh 75 in October. And then I will also be taking part in a 10 mile um, run um, race also in October at Tiptree. And then I will be taking part part in another half marathon at the end of October um, uh, called the Riverside Half Marathon. And then I've got three further challenges uh, which will take place in November. One is another 10 mile um, race that takes place in Stebbing uh i will then be taking part in another half marathon in called uh, in Hertfordshire and then i finish off um no actually i think the half half marathon is the last one i'll take part in and in between that i will be doing the Chelmsford uh road race 10 kilometer run
1: a lot of running there yes. i'm sure there's going to be some tired legs by the end of it as well i believe there will be mm-hmm. yes um but obviously running then it's obviously a big part of your life um and it's almost helped you, I suppose, in a, in a lot of ways. And we were talking just before we started recording about how your sort of rediscovery of parkrun in particular mm-hmm. has really helped you in a lot of ways. Yes.
0: One day, uh, my wife said to me, she said, you know, say, I'd like to see you, uh, you know, get back into your running, really. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to see you go out. You always used to enjoy that. Um, and, you know, it'd be great if you could take part in it again. And I said, yeah, you know, it would be great. You know, I was doing some gym work at the time, going down the gym, but it wasn't the same. Running on the treadmill, going on the cross trainer is not the same as going out, running through the countryside on the roads um, and having fun and just being in a different environment. So I said, yeah, no, I think I'd like to go out for a run one day. So I did. I went out for a run and I ran the routes I took part in when I was training for the London Marathons and the Half Marathons and i thought i can't do this um i can't see enough to feel confident enough to be able to run here on my own even over the fields. i thought i'll run around the fields there's nothing to trip over i can't bump into anyone and it still felt uneasy so i came back home and my wife said to me at the time how did you feel i thought it went okay but it didn't feel the same i felt quite nervous about running uh, i wasn't running at the speed i'd like to be running at and i just don't think it's physically going to be possible for me to be able to run on my own out and about i think the only way i'm going to be able to do any running is if i just carry on working down the gym so i did that for a period of time i did some more gym work i did some spinning uh, but i wasn't enjoying it because i thought this is not where i want to be so i stopped for a little while and i thought And, and I thought, you know, there's got to be a way of doing this, there must be something I can do to be able to allow me to get back out on the road and do what I love the most. And at the time, um, I was then looking into uh, seeking assistance uh, with um, having an assessment for a guide dog, because say, you know, because of the way my condition had changed, I felt, you know, I'm gonna need, need some more assistance now. I had my white cane that I was using, um, but it felt like they made, you know, for me to be able to go out with my children, I just needed some extra and security with myself. So I applied uh, for a guide dog assessment, and um, a lady uh, by the name of um, Jill that from the guide dog association came and gave my initial assessment and asked me what I was into. Um, and I was explained to her that I was into football, rugby, cricket, but my main real passion was running. Um, but unfortunately, due to the way my condition has changed, I can't do that. And uh, she basically said to me, she said, well, uh, it's funny you should mention that you like running. I also assist another lady from Chelmsford uh, who uh takes part in the Chelmsford Park Run, and she runs with a guide. Would you be interested in contact, um, if I put your name in contact um, with the lady that coordinates the guide runners for the Chelmsford Park Run? And my eyes lit up, and I said, yes, 100%. So she put me in contact uh, with the lady, Sue, that coordinates the park run guide runners for Chelmsford, and uh, we had a chat, and we then met up for the very first time, a year ago uh, back in June I think it was July time and um, we went out for a practice run I did not know how it was going to go uh, I obviously had never run with a guy before I'd seen it uh, when I'd taken part in in um, you know other races when I was you know competing for visually impaired con- tournaments but I'd never done it myself so I I'd, I never knew how it was going to be I thought you know I was wasn't nervous I was I was looking forward to the challenge, but I was a little bit apprehensive because it's like I'm running with some person that's attached to me and I'm relying on them to be able to get me round. And also, because I hadn't run for so long properly, I didn't even know whether I did even get round. So the aim was, was to take part in the, uh, to do the 5K, 5K run, but to actually run the route of the Chelmsford Park run. So, and it was in a Sunday afternoon, so the sun was quite high. And I thought, well, you know, here we go, give it a go. We'll see how we get on. I'm either going to get round in one piece or I'm going to collapse on the floor and think what the hell have I decided to go and do. So we took, you know, I met her up and we went out and it wasn't fast, Uh, I didn't expect it to be fast, but I got round in one piece and I couldn't believe how quickly I allowed myself to relax and to put all my trust into this one person who I'd only met this that first you know for that very first time when we went for the run and we were talking away she was giving me directions of where we were running and I just eased and, and became more relaxed and as the run went on I felt more confident about doing it and I was surprised um, I did say you know like I said you know I thought it might be something that's going to be a real challenge and you know, whether I'll be able to cope with it or not. And, but because I knew I wanted to run, I think that also allowed me to relax more because it's something I wanted to do. And I thought the only way I'm gonna be able to do this is by just letting go and allowing this person to safely guide me round, but I also stay upright. And I, you know, we finished that. And then I took part, did a practice run again. Uh, and then I then took part in my Chelsea Park Run for the very first time, say, August of last year. Um, and from there, it's it's progressed. Uh, and it is the Park Run that, like I say, you know, that has really allowed me to get back into my running. Um, I've met some great people through the Park Run. Uh, I've um, allowed myself to uh, make, a you know, great mate, some new friends, uh, and to allow myself to develop and meet more guide runners through the park run who i you know run on a regular basis with and some of them that are who have assisted me with my 10 run challenge um and and say my confidence has grown from there um within the park run itself i then um have a park run uh, guide runner by the name of paul who was a member of springfield striders and he suggested you know would it be something that I'd be interested in going along to do about joining a running club and I thought yes I think it would be to allow me to to expand my running not just with park run but if I wanted to do something else you know to, to do more distances and maybe and meet other people um, and I went along uh, they were welcomed me with open arms um, they were really really pleased to see that I was interested in coming along their club um, and I now run. For them on a regular basis you know I, I train with them on a thursday and any competition obviously that i take part in, i'm always representing them in that competition so it gives them also that extra bit of um uh, advertisement that they've got someone with a visual impairment running for their club uh, and it also allows me to get out and do my running um but i say but this all came from from park run and say like i say you know from the uh, guiding group within the park run that's allowed me to do what i'm now doing and it's brilliant
1: exactly it's the the liberating side of it um and to anyone who is potentially listening to this Mm -hmm. um who may have a vision impairment themselves um what would you say to them in terms of maybe trying to get them out there and getting them to meet a guide runner, because it does sound completely liberating for someone in that position.
0: Absolutely, no, definitely. I, I, uh, you know, if it wasn't for um, Jill who put me in the right place, I certainly wouldn't have known that they, the guide runner, the group of the guide runners existed at the park run. Maybe if I did a bit more research and bought a park run, it comes up on their Facebook page and website, but I didn't know they existed like they do. And I think if anyone's there, you know, lives in Chelmsford or anywhere you know, in Essex or you know, anywhere in the country that have a visual impairment and they want to take up running, uh, and they feel like they'd like to take part in in the park run, then contact your local park running uh, web page and see if they have a guide running group attached to them, or see where the, where the local guide runners are, and just give it a go. Um, you know, it may not be something that you do it for the very first time, and it may not be something for you, but if it gives you that opportunity to think, you know, I'd like to go and run, and I'd like to take part in the park run because it is such a community. You know, you don't have to be the fastest runners on this planet and you don't have to be, you know, a great runner. It's the taking part in it. And if it allows you to do that, then I would be supportive of any single person that wants to go out and do it. You know, I don't mind anyone that wants to contact me and ask me questions about it because it's you know it's got me to get out running again. And if it allows someone else to have that same um Excitement and and give them something else in their life to think about then don't let it stop you go and do it and find out and make inquiries and and, and I think it will make someone's life different maybe give them a reconnection to getting out and about if they feel that they can't get out and about Um, and it gets you to meet other
1: people that you may have never thought you'd ever meet and as someone myself who takes part in the the Chelmsford Park run um, I can wholeheartedly back that message as well um the final question i'll have for you is is focused on sanctus Mm -hmm. where we're recording this um, and we've touched on it earlier but i suppose i want to give it the last word because that's where the money is going of course the money that you raise um so in a nutshell just how important is this place to not just chelmsford but essex really it's
0: massive um, when you're when you see when you walk to the, the town it's all well, the city itself Chelmsford you realize exactly how much homeless and vulnerable people are there it's everywhere you know whether it's walking down it's walking through the park whether it's coming through the cathedral itself whether it's walking past the shops you'll see them sitting there outside the train station they're there underneath the railway arches they're, there's someone always someone around and you know, it's it's growing wherever you go, whether it's in London, Essex, anywhere in the country. You know, the vulnerability to the homeless is increasing, um, and Sanctus is such an environment that allows to help support those people in Chelmsford and in the surrounding areas. You know, there are people that do travel in, if they can, to Sanctus because it's got such a family community here. You speak to uh, the guys and the guy, women that come in here, they don't have you know they won't have a bad word to say against the place they absolutely enjoy coming in here they feel a part of a family uh, it gives them a reconnection to other things they feel worthy when they come in here there's no judgment at all they're not frowned upon uh, they are here to help support them and they need that support to try and get through what a rough day they might have whether it's the poor weather the cold conditions the the sun the, you know the fact that they you know they don't know when the next food or next drink is going to come from somewhere that without you know with depending on what they obviously are they doing but it gives them that extra that that support it helps them with their day-to-day routines try to get them the right benefit the right connections to try and rehouse them to to maybe get them the right mental health if they um, support if it's necessary to get them doctor's appointments because that's again you know they live on the out in the in the in the multitude of conditions and they might not have never seen a doctor for multiple many year, I mean, months or days or weeks or years and they help support that by getting them enrolled onto a uh, onto a surgery uh just to get that you know assessment and 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 they are just it just makes such a difference um you know and they are say they just come in here they have a chat they sit down they can have a hot drink when they want they've got food they can have a cake they can have sandwiches and that is all done by people that volunteer Uh, you know that obviously they've got people that here that are paid but there's a numerous amount of volunteers that also are involved in in obviously the charity itself Um, they get a lot of donations from uh, other companies that are all collected by people that volunteer for Sanctus they do food collections from PrEP from Sainsbury's Marks and Spencer's um, Tesco's you know they um, Greg's uh, and there's others that also help uh, donate as well. Uh, I'm sure my wife will uh, frown upon me if I can't remember them. If I can't, uh, but it's all support that they look for. Uh, they're always constantly seeking fundraising, um, you know, to help support uh, and and finance the, the charity. Um, and it's it's a continuation of of helping, seeking, getting, seeking help, having the volunteers as well as the, say, you know, the the few people that are obviously are paid by the charity itself, but a lot of it is done by the goodness of their own heart and, and just wanting to support and help those people that, that need that support. And say, it's not just homeless, it's vulnerable, it's families, you know, they've had uh, families that come in here with children that have, you know, they've hit rock bottom and, and they literally don't, you know, don't know what else to do. Uh, and they just give them that extra help um, you know even if it's to send to the food bank or say you know to take them down to the to the, the town hall to, to try and ask them for secret advice for housing you know and and it is all done by just the goodness of their own heart and there isn't many people that out there or companies or you know places that do what I think this charity
1: does and certainly a very worthwhile cause that we can all get behind as well and with that i'll wrap up this particular episode Uh, and thank you once again steve for coming on sharing your experiences and obviously telling us about the challenge that you've set yourself as well um we will put a link to the just giving page in the show notes as well so anyone who's listening can click through there um, and they can donate to the to the cause through that um but with that wish you all the very best with the upcoming running events there's a lot of them i'm sure we will be Knackered by the end of it. I'm sure I will. Yes. Certainly a worthwhile cause. Thank, thank you, you so much. Steve. Thank you very much. A big thank you to Steve for taking part in this series of the podcast and sharing his story. You can find a link to his funding page in the show notes of this podcast. Humans of Chelmsford is an Essex Live podcast and is available on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts or the Essex Live website. You can also follow the show's social media pages. They're on Facebook and also on Twitter. Join us next week to hear from our latest guests on this series of Humans of Chelmsford.